So oftentimes we as people, we get an opinion, we do something, but we don't have anything that mitigates or limits our opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith and your critical thinking skills. I am very blessed today um, as the host of the Salty Pastor Podcast to have both Peaks on the desk with me today. Dum, dum, this dum. is Zach Peak, and of course, the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak, <laughs> and I am Jesse Mayer, your host, and we just want to welcome you to our podcast, but um, we have been spending some time talking about Christmas. Yes. Have we not? Yes. And last uh, Tuesday, you guys did a great job of Luke chapter two, Luke chapter two. reading the Christmas story and uh, talking about uh, the birth and then about the shepherds in their fields. And I was really uh, interested in your discussion on how they were afraid, like how angels would appear and what does it mean to have a angels fear of God? Angels are scary. <laughs> angels yeah, are scary. Yeah. They're not the guys in bathrobes that we usually. They're not guys. Yeah, they're not nine-year-olds in bathrobes. <laughs> no. Yeah, who stumble over their lines? Uh, they're pretty scary. Yes, they are. They're massive. But uh, what's really interesting, what I thought, is your discussion about the fear of the Lord. And that people have kind of left that. And that got me thinking today on how what you guys studied on Tuesday really applies to our world. And that is, is that, you know, I talk a lot about postmodernism and what postmodernism basically says is that there is no absolute truth. There's no objective truth. And really that basically means that they have lost any respect or fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. There's nothing objective outside that holds them accountable so they can just make up their own reality, their own truth. Have you seen that in your generation? I think so. I mean, I'm slightly older than Zach, but I mean, at least for me, it's everybody wants to give their own. It's like, we can just do whatever we want. Like the more and more the culture evolves towards this, whatever you believe is true. If you don't believe there's anything scary or you rely on the government or media to tell you what's scary. I think that's where most of our fear comes these days. It's not like an innate moral sensibility of like, we should be fearful of this wonderful, amazing God that could smite us if he wanted to, but loves us instead. It's instead, you should be afraid of this thing this week and this thing this week yeah. and saying this thing, cause you might mm -hmm. lead to this thing. Like, I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from in my generation, as opposed to like kind of a morality slash understanding of who God is and what he's doing in our life. Is well, and you, you point out a perfect example of what postmodernism produces. And that is, if there is no objective truth, then we don't know what to be afraid of. And if you don't know what to fear, you end up fearing everything. What about you, Zach? Are you seeing similar well, stuff? I think that, um, I won't lament just this specific generation too much. I think, yes, it's very prevalent in this one, but I think that if we look back that, you know, a, a belief in an objective reality of, you know, human rights and thinking about others, you know, and selflessness is a very unique thing, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, throughout it, all history, it, it started with Jesus really. Yeah. And then only, you know, countries that were heavily influenced by him and his followers have ever had any semblance of that. That's and so true. I don't think it's isolated to this generation. I think what's unique about this generation is that our country and our culture has slowly been heading more and more this way. And what it really is, is an arrogance. It's an arrogance that if you don't believe there's an objective reality and you believe you can think whatever you want, that's incredibly arrogant. Yeah. And all arrogance is rooted in insecurity. And that's why we see so much fear is because 
arrogance and insecurity go hand in hand. Go hand in hand. Well, and the ability for that fear to be propagated is so much easier these days, despite what generation and, you are, right? And With I do the think that is something that. that's very, that is very unique. Uh, you know, in some ways we'll, it's funny because sometimes people will lament things about, you know, my generation. And I think that I'm like, well, that's happened a lot of times before. So it's not just our generation. It's still yes. a problem. It's not just our generation. That's true. But I do think that the internet and especially things like Twitter just increase the velocity of change so quickly. Like I, I kind of wonder like in the ancient world, you know, or even just a thousand years ago, like if you were scared of, you know, if there was a fear, even whether it was founded or unfounded, whether it was of the Lord or of something else, like an entire village or society could be afraid of something of the same thing for, you know, generations. And now there's a new thing every week on Twitter and the trending thing. And like, I, I enjoy Twitter sometimes. And I don't think that Twitter on its own is this evil thing, but I think it definitely increases the velocity of what happens when mm. there's a new thing every week to be worried about. And the rate at which it can be propagated. So let's say, you know, uh, a culture is afraid of the god in the volcano, right? Like yeah. we, we don't want to make the volcano angry, <laughs> right? It could take a long time for that fear to like spread out just because the way information traveled back then was slower. It's like, yeah, well, a guy might wander to another village and yeah. be like, hey, back in my own village, we have this God that rests in the mountain and sometimes he gets angry and blows things up, right? Like yeah. that would be a thing, but it would be a slower process yeah. of spreading out, especially across the world. Like most of it would die or be argued against before then, but now it's like you can type in three seconds, 48 characters and send it out into the entire world. And it may get picked up by some random media person. And then suddenly it's the news of the day, right? Yeah. yeah. When something well, goes viral, it just expands the entire world almost instantaneously. Within but I think those, two. yeah. And those, uh, those modem modalities require rapidity mm -hmm. when you live, like you said something earlier, uh, it's so much easier for people to be afraid today than before, which is odd when we live in such an affluent and advanced society. We should have less things and to be safe. afraid of. We should have less and fear. Safe. And safe. We should have <laughs> less things to be afraid of. But what's really amazing is that's because people don't know what they believe or why they believe it. Yeah. Mm. And so with re, with the shallowness, it, it requires rapidity. Uh, some people may not be familiar with this, but, uh, here in Idaho, river boating is a big deal, especially, uh, through rapids and stuff. And I don't mean whitewater rafting. What I mean is river boating. And these boats are made out of aluminum. They're welded together and they put jet thrust engines in them. And so they can, uh, basically cruise up rivers in water that's just 18 inches deep at times, mm -hmm. you know, because, but in order to do that, the boat has to travel at a high rate of speed. If the boat slows down, it'll settle into the water and it can settle down 20 inches into water. But when it's cruising over the water, it displaces maybe two inches of water because it's just, you know, zooming along. So these guys, they get in these things and then they just go flying up these river rapids. It's just really crazy what they do. Well, in the same way, this stuff that's being propagated requires rapidity in order to maintain its shallowness. Mm. And then people will end up believing anything. Like just case in point, this week I was reading um, articles about Christmas and here in Idaho, we have a, a, a bunch of local web-based type of media outlets that run in tandem with the Idaho Statesman. And they're, they produce these things called conversations and they all pick it up. It's like kind of like a news story released on the AP, mm -hmm. but they'll pick it up and they'll propagate it. And, and I think this is one of the things that bothers people about the news media 
and how and why people call it fake news because this guy he's thomas adam from the university of arkansas and he just wrote this little christmas story right and it's titled how christmas became an american holiday tradition with the santa claus gifts and tree published by the idaho press on december 6th and it's really interesting because in it he says uh the whole idea of christmas trees uh, in your house came to America through German immigrants in the 1800s. And then he said the idea of putting a candle on an evergreen was inspired by the pagan tradition of celebrating the winter solstice with bonfires on December 21st. These bonfires on the darkest day of the year were intended to recall the sun and show her the way home. The lit Christmas tree was essentially a domesticated version of these bonfires and the reference that they're making was a pagan tradition in rome called saturnalia and what he's saying is patently unequivocally false and it's historically proven false and what happens is we have people who write this stuff people who read this stuff and they become more shallow in their belief because it's built on a house of cards it's a falsehood because all you have to do is take five minutes in, or not even that, and just Google, well, where did Christmas trees come to? You can go to history.com, you can go to historytoday.com, and everybody says the same thing, and that is, is that the whole notion of lit candles on Christmas trees was started in the 1500s by Martin Luther, the religious reformer. And he was walking home one night, and he was seeing the glory of the twinkling skies. And he went in and he said, you know, we need to put candles on our tree and we want to celebrate the birth of Christ. You know, the, it was because on, you know, the shepherd saw the night and then the wise men followed the star. And that's why most Christmas trees have on the top of them, what, a giant star, star you know? And so, but what's interesting is that what postmodernism does and what uh, uh, secularists try to do, and these are people that I think at their core have a conviction that absolute truth, it, they're skeptical of it, they reject it. And, but the problem is they never become skeptical of their own skepticism. They never take any accountability for what they produce. And what they produce is people who are fearful of everything and anything. And when people become fearful, they become fascist. You know, they want to impose their belief or conviction without any scientific fact around their conviction or in any type of historical fact around their thing or any data fact around it. But because they're convinced this is their truth, they want to impose it on you. This, it started out with religious types of things, and now we're seeing this uh, scientifically, th the things that people want to impose on our nation in order to deal with a pandemic. I mean, it's really fascinating. It's, it's one thing to say you have the freedom to pursue any type of prophylactic or therapeutic or whatever, depending upon your healthcare needs. But what's happening today is this overwhelming desire to impose therapeutics, impose prophylactics, pro, impro, impose all of these things upon people against their will, which that, that only results from a society that has become too postmodern in its orientation. 
So what you're saying is you're really for what this guy wrote is what I'm hearing <laughs> in your Oh, that's I, what you heard, right, Zach? That's that what you heard. So maybe I missed the point. But I, I just think when people publish this ridiculous tripe, it just hurts people more than we realize. Well, and I think we see this more and more where there is a sense of like distrust in the media. But if it's written, we have what we were taught in school, at least what I was taught was in order for someone to publish something in a newspaper it has to be sourced and like, it's supposed yeah. to be sourced and like, yeah, that doesn't exist right? anymore. Like, yeah. but that was what we were in told growing up. So people who are not going, well, maybe what we were told is not always true. will just assume that, oh, well, it was written in the paper. Therefore they must have done yeah. the research. So I don't need to do the research. Yeah. Therefore it's probably accurate. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, like another thing he says here that is really interesting is he says that, the notion of Santa Claus was created and it first appeared on the front page of the union army in 1862. Uh, and well, it was, it was published in Harper's weekly and it, what it had is it had in 1862, an image of Santa Claus visiting the union army. Right. And so he was saying that's when it was created. Well, I could, you could make an argument that the image, you know, of a, a fat guy in a red suit and stuff, but it's factual history that the whole notion of Santa Claus, St. Nick, was based on a 4th century monk known as St. Nicholas who lived in Myrna, which is on the coast of western Turkey. And he was a priest. And what he would do is he found girls that were from poor families uh, that uh, were unable to pay a dowry or were unable to because they had inverted it then and and so what happened the whole concept of dowry you can go on that if you'd like to to discuss a little bit but these girls couldn't get married because they didn't have any dowry and so what he would do is he took money that he got and then he would go in the middle of the night and he would give them a dowry coin you mm -hmm. know that was enough for them to get married and so that was a really big deal and so it was a giving of gifts and he would do it at this certain time during the year and that's the whole notion. That's why we call Santa Claus Saint Nick, because he's based the legend of um, Santa on this actual character, right? So I think I think when when people don't know their history, then what happens is you end up believing anything, and then when you believe anything, you become afraid of everything. And I really I really appreciate how you guys talked about, you know that these things that happened were remarkable. They created fear in people, but not in a bad way. You know, Zach talked about how fear can be a good thing. And I, well, think, I think it's important to recognize that there's kind of two different types of fear. There's fears that are rational and fears yeah. that are, you know, accurate. Yeah. I've always been a little bit afraid of heights and I can't imagine know, why. Yeah. When, you know, you when, guys are some of the tallest people I know. Why are you afraid of heights? I don't think six inches matters when you're looking over a cliff, but okay, maybe that's fine. just me. But yeah, like, you know, if you're, if you're standing over a 100 foot cliff and you're a little bit nervous, that's 
probably pretty rational. That's yeah. pretty accurate. That's that's not necessarily a bad fear. That's a fear founded on you know facts. You have reality. a respect for gravity. Yes, a respect for gravity. I have. I have a respect for electricity. It's not that I'm afraid yes. of it. I just have a healthy, healthy respect, respect for what it can do. <laughs> but, but what's really interesting about you bringing up that healthy respect is I remember when I was younger in Sunday school and we talked about how in the Old Testament we do Bible stories and we talk about the fear of the Lord, and that's the number one way they tried to make a sense. We were like as little kids, why are people scared of God? It's like, well, they're not. It's it's a healthy respect, and that's a great way to put it. Is that's what this fear is of angels and the Lord. It's a healthy respect of knowing that is very powerful, and I am very like small. Compared, yes, <laughs> I have a very healthy respect for large wildlife. Yeah. Yes. But, but those are fears that are based on reality and right. truth. But what we see now, besides a little phone call, thanks. Sorry, <laughs> um, is fears that are based on insecurity and untruth. Yeah. They're fears that are based on lies. Mm -hmm. They're fears that are based on things that are purely emotional. You know, emotions can help us in a lot of ways, but if we're basing things purely on emotions, just like if you're basing things purely on science or anything else, you're going to go wrong. Fears are purely emotional. They're purely based on how people are feeling or what they're scared of in the moment. And everything, because of our society and the postmodernism and the arrogance, all of our fears now are based on insecurity. Mm. That's not founded on reality. That's not founded on truth. That's not a healthy respect for something that is an emotional response that people are giving into. Mm. So, yeah. well, and I think that that's really important. I read a book a long time ago called, uh, 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 it's called following the called follow me, uh, experiencing the loving leadership of Jesus. And it was written by a pastor. He's retired now, uh, quite a while ago. His name was Jan Hedinga and kind of the Bothell, kind of the Puget Sound area. And he wrote this book, and I read this book. And it was really, really fascinating, because, fascinating to me because he said that in our society, we are skeptical of any and all of authority. We reject all authority, you know, the you know, re rebel kind of attitude. He said, but what that does is that exacerbates fear mm. in a person. And he said, if you want to be a secure person, how, how do you, and he said, how do you overcome your fears? Right. He says, well, you have a greater fear. That's how you do it. And he said, when you fear God, he said, that gives you the clarity, the focus, the strength to overcome any and every fear. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it gives us a, uh, it gives us a limiting factor in our lives. So oftentimes we as people, we get an opinion, we do something, but we don't have anything that mitigates or limits our opinion, right? And that is this, uh, here's how this, the logical syllogism works. And that is, is that there is a God, you're not him. Number two, you are going to be held accountable for your life and your choices because you have free will. Number three, this God came in the form of Jesus to die on the cross to save you from your sins and to redeem you and give you a new life. Okay, that's awesome. So then some people think, okay, well, then let's make everybody believe in Jesus because it's so much better. And you're like, wait, there's a limiting principle there, and that is you're accountable for your sins because you have free will. Therefore, we believe in the doctrine of non-coercion, and that is we'll make the case, we'll plead the case, we'll prosecute the case, but in the end, everybody has to be given the freedom to make their own choice. You can't force a person to fall in love. 
Mm. Right. So what we have to do is we can create opportunities to learn and experience. We can share, we can proselytize, we can evangelize, but in the end it's everyone's own choice. Right. So that's called a limiting principle. Well, if, if you don't have a greater fear, and if you don't have an objective reality or objective truth, then some, even some of your lesser fears, then you want to impose with no limiting principle on everybody else. And that's a problem. Yeah. Cause then it just spirals out of control. It spirals no, out of control. Yeah. There's no, like you said, there's no end to it. There's yeah. no like, well, and in I, communism is a perfect example. There's a story of a man who, uh, there was a, a leader under Stalin uh, it wasn't himself, but his daughter did a piano concerto, like a piano thing, and she came out and played the piano, and so the people stood up and started clapping. And everybody was afraid to stop clapping, you know, and then it just went on and on and on. I mean, it was absurd. It went for half an hour. People were, and then finally one person just said, like, this is so, so stupid. So he stopped clapping. They arrested him and sent him to a gulag. See, that's how ridiculous it gets. After 45 minutes of clapping for a little girl's piano recital, that's a little nutty. See, that's what happens in postmodernism, and that's what's happening in our society today, is that people want to get elected to office for one reason and one reason only, and that is I want to impose my vision and my values on everybody else as quickly as possible. It's a power play. It's power play. It's 100% power play. And, and see, that's going to tear America apart because America was not designed for that purpose. America was designed for the purpose of how do you get people with all these different belief systems and values and stuff to get along and be at peace, solve political conflict peacefully, have peaceful transitions of power. And, and you do that by limiting the power of the people in charge as much as possible. Well, we well, they, they're supposed to be balancing each other. They balance like each ideally other. with the two party system, it was supposed to be a checks and balances checks kind and of balance. a system, right? Yeah, but now it's it's starting to try to get around that. And that's what I find fascinating is that in the end, I don't think that's going to be healthy for anybody in America. Right. I wonder as we as we kind of talk about these this treating like people that understand who God is and have a healthy respect for him, as we, we talked about, they have more confidence and courage in other matters of their life. They don't let these fears that are being perpetuated, these smaller fears or these unfounded fears kind of rule their life. We see this a lot with, I mean, we all love movies. We talk about them quite a bit. You see this as a trope in a lot of movies where it's like the main character has some innate fear mm -hmm. that they end up overcoming to save the life of the love interest or a child or whatever. And it's like, you can kind of take that same thing in your walk with God is once you find something you care about more than the thing you're afraid of, you're willing to do whatever you need to, to do whatever live up you to need that to stand, do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if we treat God the way that these main characters treat their love interest, children, whatever, then there's, it's not that we won't, you know, still have some fear, you know, we have that, but it, it gives us this courage. And we see, we talked about this last week on the podcast is the, the Bible's constantly filled with points in time where God or an angel or somebody saying, fear not, I am with you. I go before mm -hmm. you, you, you know, I'm going to be with you. And it's like, when you have that, it's like, you can still recognize that you have fear of it, but it's not going to rule your life. Instead, you know, I know somebody bigger, better, 
stronger than anything else the world can do. And he's going before me to take care of it. Right. Yeah. And I think that it has a lot to do with the greatest fear of all, which is the fear of death, Mm. you know, and I, you know, as a pastor over the last 34, 35 years, I've spent, you know, the last few moments uh, with a lot of people who've passed away. And I can tell you, it is unmistakably clear that people who know God, who know Christ, um, are so much more at peace than people who don't, you know? And I mean, it's, it's a marked difference between the two types of situations. And I, I, cause I think people are afraid of death. They're afraid of being wiped out of existence and, you know, nihilism is the result of, of meaninglessness. And so the fear of death is, you know, what brings our lives meaning. And now I, I don't want it to be meaningless. And so we have this huge fear. And I think that that corrupts down into every single area of your life. You know, your response to the pandemic is directly proportional to how afraid you are of death, you know, mm. because and and what we're trying to do, and I think some people are so strongly opinionated about it because what we're trying to do is a basic human drive. And that is we're trying to impose control over something we don't have control over, you know, and that's the thing about an, a pneumatic virus, an airborne virus that's traveling around is, is that in the end, there's really, I mean, you can try to slow it down or you can do other things, but uh, blaming people and their behaviors for, you know, that everybody's going to get infected eventually is like arguing that it's gravity's fault it's gravity's a constant a virus is going to get everyone eventually and there's really nothing we can do about that other than slow it down well i think this is a great example of that exact thing you were talking about where people who know jesus and had a had a interesting response to the pandemic was when when we first heard about it we encouraged people to watch from home yeah but we never closed our doors we still had them open if people Mm -hmm. wanted to be in the building and what was interesting was some of the oldest most at-risk people yeah were coming in to the church to be at church on a sunday and we're like you're the most like in danger and they're like you know i survived a war if this kills me it kills me but it's not going to stop me from spending time yeah, in I'm gonna, church with God and doing what I'm going to do. Because I'm going to be in eternity with God. Yeah. And so it's like, that was like the most fascinating thing is like the people most at risk were the ones that are like, I'm going to church. And if you guys have the doors open, I'm showing up. And it was just like fascinating because we're it like, was. you're the ones we're hiding for. And yeah. it was like, they're like, eh, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were, well, and it's interesting because they took it seriously yeah. They knew the they danger. Knew the risk. They knew the risk. It wasn't like they were being ignorant, you know, or Pollyannish about it. They knew all that, but their faith, right, was more powerful than their fear. Mm. And so, you know, I, I'm, and I'm not trying to say that people who are taking extensive measures, you know, to deal with this stuff are acting out of fear. I'm not saying that at all. I, I you know, I fully support people who are getting vaccinated. I think, especially if you're in a high risk population, I think it's a, you know, I've said this on the salty pastor before. I think it's a medical modern day miracle that it's even available. I think it's awesome. Mm. And, but what I do think is that fear comes in when our choice has to be everyone else's choice. 
you see. Mm. And I've seen that because I've seen some people who are saying, oh, I'm never going to get vaccinated and stuff. I said, well, that's great for you. And they say, and everybody else who does is, you know, something. Like. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You just went from rational to irrational in the blink of an eye. And then somebody else, you know, I just read an article today, this uh, poor woman lost her husband, mm. you know, he was fully vaccinated and everything. And it was a breakthrough case, but he had a lot of comorbidities. He had all of these health issues, you know, heart disease problems and heart attacks and all this kind of stuff. And she said, the only reason my husband is dead is because people won't get vaccinated. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm sorry you lost your husband, but that's totally irrational. That's right. totally irrational. Um, and so I think that's the, that's the difficulty is that you see, we go from rational to irrational in the blink of an eye. How is it that hum Americans have become so shallow and so judgmental because they've lost their respect for God, that there's an objective truth outside of ourselves that holds us accountable. And because it holds us accountable, then that means every thought, every action we have to think about, a you know what I'm saying? We, we have to think about it. There's a limiting principle there. And the limiting principle is there's a God. I'm not him. I'm not God. I, I cannot make choices for everybody else. And I like the way you said it earlier. And that is, is that, you know, it's just, it's just really arrogant to live that way. And yet we've become so opinionated and so want to impose our opinion on everybody else that we're becoming a more arrogant in shallow society because of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's any surprise when you believe that there is a God that has created you and he is over all things and you know mm -hmm. him. It's a little bit hard to get too full of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit hard to get too full of yourself when you read about Jesus. You're like, Oh, well, he's a lot better than me. A lot of different things. <laughs> so I should probably take a backseat, <laughs> you know, but if you don't have that and, you know, as we talked about with postmodernism, it's all about your reality. And, you know, what's the number one thing about postmodernism? It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about me. It's you know, very it's, solipsist. Yeah. yeah. And so it just, uh, how could arrogance not arise from that? Yeah. And yeah. again, arrogance partners with insecurity because mm -hmm. it's not built on anything real. You know, everyone who builds, you know, th the reason why this guy wrote an article, you know, attacking Christmas tradition and trying to make it sound like it's not some actual, you know, thing yeah. that was founded on grace and love and gift giving is because he's insecure. Yeah. And you know, one of, we, we talked about fears and what the great human fear is. I think in most cases for people whose greatest fear is not God, it's their greatest respect is not for God and his creation and his reality it usually becomes being left behind, mm. being part of the crowd. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we see things, they move so fast and they get so shallow is because everybody just doesn't want to be the la or the first person to stop clapping. Yeah. They don't care. There's nothing objective about it. There's not a single thing objective. It's purely, I don't want to be the first person to stop or I don't want to be the person left behind or mm -hmm. I, you know, I want to be in this group and not that group. And I don't know what it takes, but I'm just going to kind of hang out here. And that's not built on anything real that's built on insecurity. Mm. And so those it partners with arrogance and that's the, what is the world and our culture is trying to highlight in people. That's mm -hmm. what it's trying to build up more than anything else. Mm. And the way to combat that is to have our fear and our respect, you know, those ha pair those together when thinking about God, respecting him, knowing him, loving him and accepting his love, also recognizing he is the supreme authority, you know, of, of mm -hmm. the entire universe and we're accountable to him. And pairing that with, you know, our understanding of reality, of truth, 
how can you be arrogant in that? How yeah, can you I be agree. overly self-confident? I, I look at so much of this discourse on COVID and vaccines and, you know, anything that happens that comes up politically, you know, even non-COVID things, but mm -hmm. just like certain rights, whether it be abortion or taxes or whatever it may be, and just seeing people be so incredibly just engulfed with their own opinion is incredible to me because I look at it and I'm like, well, I can see how I get there. I can see how I get there. And I just, I feel like I'm in this space because of my relationship with Christ of being able to look at somebody and be like, yeah, they think this and I can see how they think this and this is their experience and let's work together to make something better, you know, because I know that I am not the center of the universe. Right. But if you think you're the center of the universe, it becomes, why is that person not agreeing with me? Well, they're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, and then they use because of the deconstructionism that's compared, that's paired with the postmodernism. All it takes is one little technicality. Yeah. Any little thing you can bring somebody down for. Oh, them. They're not a reporter. Throw them out. So they're, oh, they're not academic enough. That's fine. Oh, they use this statement wrong. Mm -hmm. Boom. They're not. And then you can shut out every single opinion. You're the only thing that's left. And then you don't have any joy. Because yeah. you're isolated. Yeah, you have no joy. So. <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed having both of you on the desk today. It's been a great conversation. Zach's going to um, kind of wrap up this portion that we've been talking about this week um, on Sunday as he shares a message. And ultimately, we just want you guys to be having discussions like this with your friends and your family. Um, really understanding what you believe and why you believe it is the real point of this podcast. We want to encourage yeah. you to critically think through your beliefs and understand why you believe them. Don't write your parents' theology. Don't just do it because, you know, your spouse or whatever does it. It needs to be your belief system. Otherwise, it's not your belief system. It's Correct. just a facsimile of one. So please have discussions because that's going to be only grow you and um, further your understanding of what you believe and why you do. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We hope you join us on Sunday here in beautiful Boise, Idaho at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings. Blessings.